It's time for America Outdoors Radio, the show that covers the outdoor scene across the U.S. of A. and the entire continent. Fishing, hunting, conservation, outdoor recreation, and great destinations, we cover it all every week. It's your country, your outdoors. Let's explore it together with your host, John Cruz. Welcome to the show. I don't know about you, but I'm having a good weekend because I'm fishing a bass tournament this weekend. It's a small one. My best friend, Rusty Johnston, and I have fished in mid-September, off and on since 2014. It's called the Old Farts Tournament, and at least one person in the boat has to be over 40 years of age, which is no problem for either one of us. It takes place at Potholes Reservoir in eastern Washington. Ground Zero is Mardon Resort, just a mile or two down the road from where I live. And we'll probably be up against 20 boats or so, seeing if we can weigh in five largemouth or smallmouth that are big enough to finally cash a check. Something we really, really hope to do one of these days because we haven't yet as tournament anglers. I've got to admit, this one-day tournament is a fun one to fish. September fishing is always good. We've never been skunked this time of year during this tournament, and the weather is really nice as well. Wish us luck. As always, we are going to need it. This week on America Outdoors Radio, we're going to chat with Patrick Nye. He's the president of the National Professional Anglers Association. He's going to tell you about a law in North Dakota passed with the best of intentions that instead was shutting down tournament fishing throughout the state because of the hefty fees and rules the state was imposing that made it a losing proposition for any tournament organizer to put on an event there. We're still... This was a revenue-gathering law that had the potential to cross state lines. Pat will explain what his organization did to work with North Dakota state legislators to get this problem fixed so that we can make tournament fishing great again in the Peace Garden State. After we talk to Pat, we'll get to chat with Scott Haugen. Now, Scott, as you probably know, is a very, very well-known outdoors personality. He's been an editor and an outdoors writer for forever and a day. He's a television personality. He's simply a top-tier outdoors professional. And one thing he loves to do is hunt black-tailed deer. These deer are only found west of the Cascades and in the coast range from northern California to southeast Alaska, and they are not an easy species to hunt at all. Scott will tell you why this is and also give you some advice to help you find these ghosts of the woods and harvest one this fall. Our other guest today, that would be Dan Clayton Luce. He's the Vice President of Communications for Henry Repeating Arms. The topic, getting kids into hunting. And with youth seasons about to open up all over the country, this is a great time to have a discussion about safety, making the first experience a fun one for the kids, fitting the right rifle or shotgun to that kid's smaller frame, and we'll also talk about some of the youth model rifles and shotguns that Henry has available too. Before we talk to Dan, Scott, and Pat, though, it's time for one of my favorite show segments. It's time to talk record fish. From AZ Animals, Outdoor Life Magazine, and other sources, we learned that if you want to catch a big coho salmon this summer, don't go to the Pacific Northwest or Alaska. Go to the Great Lakes, specifically Lake Superior, where two 
record co-host salmon were caught over Labor Day weekend, breaking a 53-year record. Coho, also known as silvers in Alaska, typically run anywhere from three to six pounds in size, but this year they are running a lot bigger. That's because their primary forage base, Cisco's, also known as lake herring, have been very abundant in Lake Superior this year, and the salmon are taking advantage of the fact that the all-you-can-eat buffet is open 24-7 for them. Walter Taylor of Stillwater, Minnesota, who is only seven years old, reeled in the first record at the beginning of Labor Day weekend, a 10.06-pound coho. That record was literally broken on Labor Day when 54-year-old David Seahose went fishing with his wife on a charter boat out of Duluth with Captain Kent Paulson, the skipper of the True North 2. Paulson told Outdoor Life magazine they were having a great day of lake trout fishing and decided to shift gears and go after coho salmon. According to Paulson, he set up trolling for cohos with dodgers and flies. He got the lures down about 50 feet just above the thermocline, and at 730 a.m., a hot fish hit and pulled about 100 feet of line off the reel drag before Seahose could get the rod and start fighting the fish. It took about five minutes for the former Marine from Wabasha, Minnesota, to bring the fish to the boat, and when Paulson netted it, he knew it was a possible state record. They headed straight to the marina, weighed the fish on a certified scale, and discovered the salmon indeed was a new record, weighing just under 11 pounds and measuring 29 inches long. As big as this fish was, Paulson believes it is very possible the record could be broken again before the season ends at the end of September. So if you want a shot at a big coho and maybe a new state record, you better hurry. In the meantime, applause is definitely in order for both Walter and David. Congratulations on your new record. Next, a sad note from the firearms industry where Wyndham Weaponry out of Maine has announced that they are officially closed as of September 12th. From the outdoor wire, we learn that the company that specialized in AR-15 rifles and started 12 years ago has folded. In their words, the last few years have been a very challenging time for the firearms industry, and we have struggled to keep the Wyndham weaponry dream alive for as long as possible. Unfortunately, we have not been able to meet our loan obligations with the bank after they worked with us as much as they could. There was a glimmer of hope when we were negotiating with an investor to help keep Wyndham weaponry alive and healthy, but that just fell through. We have begun discussions with Keenan Auction Company to determine the best course of action for a full liquidation which should happen within the next month or so. I would imagine you can find out more about that liquidation in case you're interested in picking up some of the items that they have available through their website at windhamweaponry.com. That's W-I-N-D-H-A-M, windhamweaponry.com. And as for the owners and employees of that company, here's wishing you the best in the next chapter. On a brighter note, next Saturday, September 23rd, is National Public Lands Day, and that means entry fees are waived at federal public lands. We're talking about Forest Service trailheads and recreation sites. Same goes for Bureau of Land Management sites and national parks. Free to enter on Public Lands Day. September 23rd, Public Lands Day is also a day where a lot of folks volunteer to be stewards of our public land with either cleanups or habitat restoration or other projects. 
If you want to find out more, reach out to your Regional Forest Service Office, Bureau of Land Management Office, National Park, or State Park. Something else you might be interested in is the Frog Togs Annual Duck Hunting Giveaway. This year, one grand prize winner is going to receive a bundle of duck hunting gear and accessories valued at over $7,200. That includes jackets, bibs, waders, and more from Frog Togs, shotgun case and decoy bag from Down East, a kennel, and of course a bumper to train your dog from Gunner, gift cards, sunglasses, a 12-gauge shotgun in Realtree camo from Rite, 10 by 42 binoculars from Righton, and knives from Williams. How do you enter? Well, it's pretty easy. Just go to frogtogs.com, look for the banner where they're doing their giveaway, and just enter for a chance to win. Doesn't cost a thing. Just got to give your name and your email address, your birth date, just month and day, not the year, and a phone number. You've got until September 29th to enter, and a winner will be announced shortly after that. Again, it's the Frog Togs Annual Duck Hunting Giveaway. And if you want to enter for no cost at all, just go to frogtogs.com. That's two G's with frog and two G's with togs. Frogtogs.com. Stick around. We've got more of the outdoors coming up to include a conversation with Patrick Nye about how the National Professional Anglers Association is saving tournament fishing in North Dakota. been telling you about Sportsman's Cove Lodge in southeast Alaska for a while now, and there's a reason. They are the only Alaska lodge we talk about in this show. It's because they're truly Alaska's best lodge. The adventure starts with a float plane ride from Ketchikan, after which you'll get the chance to experience some of the best hospitality, food, and wonderful people you'll ever meet. Wildlife is abundant, from bears and deer to eagles and whales, and let's not forget the reason you're here, the fishing. Halibut, salmon, lingcod, rockfish, true cod, and more. It's all waiting for you in abundance at Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Book your trip today at alaskasbestlodge.com. That's alaskasbestlodge.com for Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Come explore the Dalles in Oregon for outdoors fun. Hike amongst the wildflowers, bike our riverfront trail, or visit the Gorge Discovery Center where you can enjoy a live raptor display. Or even check out our National Neon Sign Museum. But don't forget the fishing. We've got salmon, steelhead, bass, walleye, and monster-sized sturgeon waiting just for you. When the day is done, tell those tall tales at one of our wineries, breweries, or restaurants and plan your next adventure. Find out more at explorethedalles.com. I'm Anthony Imperato, president of Henry Repeating Arms. Patriotic Americans are looking to protect and provide for their families now more than ever. Henry has over 200 rifles and shotguns to choose from. Made in America or not made at all. And backed by a lifetime guarantee. Order a free catalog, decals, and a list of Henry dealers in your area. Go to HenryUSA.com or call 1-800-958-4993. Thank you and God bless America. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nationwide nonprofit organization 
dedicated to providing hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under who suffer from life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. These adventures make big differences in the lives of those who participate in them, and in many cases are literally a dream come true that brings hope and therapy to their lives. Find out more, get involved, or donate today at huntofalifetime.org. That's huntofalifetime.org. huntofalifetime.org. You're back in with America Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. We've got Pat Nye on the line. He's the president of the National Professional Anglers Association. And this organization just did some very good work in the state of North Dakota, especially if you were a tournament angler. And I'm not talking just bass tournaments or walleye tournaments, any tournament. Pat, welcome to the show. Well, it's great to be here. So why don't you go ahead and tell us what was going on in North Dakota that was essentially tamping down tournament organizers from wanting to go to that state and have any tournaments at all? Sure. So North Dakota had a, a law on the books for quite some time that mandated a 10%, basically it was a tax, that was asked and, and would be paid for by tournament organizers as the fee for getting a permit to run a tournament. That law was unique uh, in that other states have tournament fees as well, but it was much, much more reasonable as far as the cost to the tournament organizations. In other words, it was usually a $250 fee to get a tournament permit. North Dakota was different, and it was really intended to be a quote-unquote conservation fee. So they didn't really look at it as a tax. They looked at it as a fee that was going to be reinvested into the resource there in North Dakota that would allow them to better manage the resource, you know, additional funds coming in. In theory, that would be fine. The problem was the way the law was written, that there were other caveats and there were other strings tied to it. And ultimately what happened was they had to look at the law because they started enforcing it differently than they had. And basically, they went from working with tournament organizations and capping that fee at $5,000, which is where it had been the prior years, to actually going and enforcing the 10% mandate. Well, on a tournament that, let's say, had a $500,000 entry fee purse, that meant that $50,000 had to go to that conservation fee. And that just didn't leave enough for the tournament organizer to be able to pay their expenses. Well, I would think that the tournament organizers could get around that by saying, okay, well, if I have to pay this fee, then I'll just give back less to the entrance. So example, maybe I'll just give back 50% of the tournament mm -hmm. fees to the entrance. But I understand that this law also prevented that from happening. That's correct. Because they were mandated, the, the law mandated that they had to pay 75% payout at a minimum. Which means there's a mere 15% for the tournament organizer, and that doesn't Correct. include any of the hard costs that go into running a tournament. So yeah, I absolutely see why it's not profitable at all for anybody to run a tournament in North Dakota. But you're And it wasn't even to the point where it was profitable. It was just unfeasible. I mean, the other expenses 
the insurance, the cost on site, you know, all the other expenses, the marketing expenses, all added up to the point where their margins aren't that high. They couldn't afford it. There's just no way they could afford to come to North Dakota anymore. So how did the National Professional Anglers Association get involved and turn this around? So I received, I can remember the call I got from one of our members to alert us that this was going on. And this would have been almost three years ago. And what he told us was they were going to start charging, the state was going to start charging the full amount because somebody had brought up that it wasn't being charged and that the law you know, really need to be rewritten if they weren't going to follow the legislation. So that happened. We weren't able to affect any change at that time because of the way things came down in timing and into effect. I mean, they started charging the 10%. And not only did it affect the, the national tournament organizations that were going to come to North Dakota, but it also affected the nonprofits because the nonprofits that were running tournaments to raise funds for the fire department, you know, for the, you know, the local community, whatever, the boat landings, whatever, they couldn't afford to hold a tournament anymore either because of the 75% payback. Right. You know, so normally that wouldn't affect them because they usually pay 50-50. Mm-hmm. Nonprofits do that in most other states. It's 50% to the nonprofit, 50% to the anglers. Well, this is an unintended consequence to the way the law came down. All of a sudden, the nonprofits couldn't participate in their local tournaments anymore either because the numbers didn't work. So I got the heads up from our local member to several other organizations that on a nationwide basis, the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation has people that work at the state capitol in North Dakota. The American Sport Fishing Association has a government affairs program for freshwater. Ourselves, BASS, which is even though they weren't holding bass tournaments in North Dakota, they were in Minnesota, they were in South Dakota. And You know, we didn't want to see this go from North Dakota to these other states because all of a sudden it just wasn't going to be feasible to hold tournament events for BASS in those states. Right. So what we're trying to do is keep this from going outside North Dakota because the the odds were if other states found out that North Dakota was charging 10% and it was being accepted, that it might go to other states who are always looking for more revenue streams. So we got this coalition involved. We started to reach out to legislators. We reached out to the visitors bureaus across the state, including the State Visitors Bureau, which is a government agency. And it just started to network and get involved and say, what can we do? This isn't helping anybody. And we have a couple of our members, one in particular in North Dakota, really got involved. His name's Jeremy Olson. Got involved to the point where he and Zach Axman, who is one of our board members, got involved, and Jeremy actually wrote the initial draft of the legislation that has now passed in North Dakota. So Jeremy looked at this, did all the research, found all, you know, all the reasons why this needed to be addressed, went to the state capitol, started working with legislators, became a lobbyist, basically, for the future of term angling in North Dakota, and he's also, again, one of our members. I helped him wherever I could. We helped with the support of the event. And Jeremy took it upon himself to go there, get this done. And le- legislation passed the first branch and then went to the second. And it got adjusted a little bit. But we came out with a new law that we feel benefits 
everybody now. You've got 30 seconds to tell us what the new law is. The new law is basically this. There is a fee now involved, but the funding for the conservation fee now comes from a $5 per non-resident license that's charged against all non-residents that come to the state to fish that goes to a conservation fee. And that fee is a much larger number than it would have been had the old law stay there. So everybody wins now. So no more 10% payout to the state? What is the payout to the state now? The payout for the state is the tournament fees plus the 5%. And Jeremy's calculations were the payout was going to be somewhere around 300000 to the state. And better still, tournament organizers can disperse funds any way they want to their entrance, right? That's correct. All right. Well, great work done by the National Professional Anglers Association. If you want to find out more about this group, go to their website. You'll find it at npaa.net. That's npaa.net. Pat, thanks for sharing this with us today. My pleasure. Thank you for reaching out. Appreciate the opportunity. This is the time of year to get out and cook out. So make your next meal sizzle with Camp Chef, the brand known for quality outdoor cooking. From camp stoves to cast iron, from smokers to grills, Camp Chef will change the way you cook outdoors. To eat like a king on your next adventure, go to CampChef.com or visit your local sporting goods store and get cooking. Whether you're serving breakfast in the backcountry or barbecue on the back patio, savor the simplicity with Camp Chef. Camp Chef, the way to cook outdoors. We've been telling you about Sportsman's Cove Lodge in southeast Alaska for a while now. They're truly Alaska's best lodge. Wildlife is abundant, from bears and deer to eagles and whales. And let's not forget the reason you're here, the fishing. Halibut, salmon, lingcod, rockfish, true cod, and more. It's all waiting for you in abundance at Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Book your trip today at alaskasbestlodge.com. That's alaskasbestlodge.com for Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Are you looking to reel in the marketing opportunity of a lifetime? America Outdoors Radio has sponsorships available, and we offer affordable platforms to reach thousands of listeners. Find out more by contacting John Cruz through his website at americaoutdoorsradio.com. You're back in with America Outdoors Radio, and I've got one of my favorite guests on the line. It's Scott Haugen, very well-known, globe-trotting, outdoors television personality, editor, writer, and photographer. Scott, great to have you back on the air. Hey, thanks for the kind words, and uh, yeah, nice to be back. So I just read an article written by our, our mutual friend, M.D. Johnson, Northwest Sportsman Magazine, and it's all about you and... Advice to Bag Blacktail Deer. And you're definitely a good person to go for this. After all, you wrote a book on the subject, Trophy Blacktails, Science of the Hunt, which, by the way, folks, is available at scotthaugen.com. But let's start off educating our, our listeners a little bit about the blacktail. They're located in a very specific area of the country, and a lot of people are not familiar with them. Where do you find blacktail deer? What's their range? 
Yeah, they're basically a Pacific Northwest deer, um, thriving from Northern California, basically uh, all the way up the coast and west of the the Cascade line, all the way up into Canada. So they're a uh, very interesting deer. Historically, they used to range as far east as about Cody, Wyoming, and believe it or not, it was uh, it was a crossing of, of of a black tail and a white tail that gave us the mule deer. That's the genetic studies that when I was writing that book, did a lot of research on, and and since then they. The geographic line that these animals historically called home receded, and, and the blacktail has settled basically west of the Cascades in the Pacific Northwest. That is a fascinating piece of trivia. <laughs> I had no idea. Now, when it comes to blacktail hunting, it's a lot more difficult than whitetail hunting and mule deer hunting, and it all comes down to, well, finding them and, and seeing them, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it, it really does. And I've, I've said this for years and, you know, and having been fortunate to hunt most big game animals in North America and hunted around the world, I, I honestly think securing, consistently securing a, a, a big mature blacktail buck is, is about the toughest hunt that there is. And it's because of what you say, the, the terrain that they, that they live in. You know, MD, right in this article, he points out he's from the Midwest, and you can, you know, you can see deer a mile away, but then you get west of the Cascade Mountains, and it's all brush, it's all timber, and these deer, they just blend into that habitat, and and I know a lot of blacktail deer hunters that eat tag soup on a regular basis because they just can't find those bucks. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's right. You know, I, I kind of compare these these things to basically like hunting the most wily, you know, smartest whitetail, but putting them in the thickest habitat in the country. And and a, a lot of friends in the outdoor industry who have come out and hunted blacktail over the years, they're just dumbfounded when they you know get to the the Cascades on public land or even get into the Coast Range, how big and rugged and and dense uh, the cover really is. And and you know their first question is, how on earth do you even kill one of these things? And, and a big blacktail is smart. And I think one of the things that makes them most difficult to hunt is the variety of habitats they live in. You know, you have your Cascade deer, you have your Coast Range deer, but then you have your, your Valley Floor deer that are living on private land. And, and even those can be difficult to hunt. I've chased those around so much. And, you know, I, I'm convinced that some of these river bottom farmland bucks that, you know, live their entire life within sight and sound of, of humans, you know, they, they know when the kids catch the bus to go to school. They know when you get home from work. They know when it's the weekend. And a lot of these big, wise deer bucks, they'll live an entire life in a very small area and never be seen by humans. You know, you'll catch them on trail camera at night, but they're very wise, they're very elusive, and I think, like I say, the toughest big game animal to consistently kill in North America. Let's talk about trophy blacktail deer. I mean, thanks to Facebook, a lot of us get to see pictures of harvested deer, but when it comes to blacktail deer, what I usually see are, are pretty small specimens. What does a big trophy blacktail look like, <laughs> and, and why are they so rare to harvest? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And, and you know, a trophy blacktail is really in the eye of the beholder. I uh, had a buddy from Texas last year uh, out hunting with me, and he's been wanting to get a blacktail for years. And, and first time he ever hunted him, uh, I scouted a lot in, in a burned area that hadn't been hunted for two years, scouted it all summer, saw a lot of bucks, and we ended up getting him a nice three-point on the second day of his hunt. And, you, you know, it wasn't a giant buck. It, it, was, it was a mature buck. It had an absolutely gorgeous double white throat patch. 
and for him, you know, it, it was the trophy of a lifetime. <laughs> as, as luck would have it, uh, we went to another spot before I went home, and I killed a buck quite a bit bigger than his. <laughs> but, <laughs> and I, but I didn't feel bad about it. <laughs> but, you know, scouting, you know, led to that. And, you know, for, for some people, a, a trophy buck is meat in the freezer. For some, it's a high-scoring buck. There are a couple things going on here in the in the Blacktail Woods that I think people should be aware of. Number one is there's been a lot of wildfires in Western Oregon and Washington that they were all aware of, and that's unfortunate. But it's replaced some of the prime habitat that has been lacking in recent decades because of the lack of logging. You know, logging is one of the greatest habitat uh, creators for blacktails. And without the logging, the habitat has become very overgrown, very brushy, and it makes these deer hard to, hard to find and hunt. So getting into recent burned areas where food is exposed is a huge benefit to uh, to any blacktail hunter. And it doesn't have to be burns. You know, 30, 40 years ago when we hunted burns, we wouldn't start hunting them until they were five or six years old. But that was because there were a lot of fresh logged habitats that created food and, and shelter for these deer. But now I'm hunting burns. You know, burns that are happening right now, if it opens during rifle season, I'll, I'll be right in them looking for deer. Another thing that people should be aware of is that if you're able to scout any time in the summer, I actually start scouting in May, but especially in July uh, through August, if you can get out and scout and find these bucks that are active in velvet, I will honestly just about every single day of scouting, I'll see more big bucks in a single day than I'll see in an entire year or two of hunting. So the deer are out there, but once they shed that velvet, they hide, they become very nocturnal, and uh, and they're hard to get. But what the summer scouting does is it gives you a starting point and the confidence to know that mature bucks are out there. Got about one minute left, and this is a question that MD asked you in the article. What's the most common mistake you hear people making when they're trying to bag a blacktail buck? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it comes down to the person and the place and the time. But I think, you know, not scouting, not doing the homework before the hunt, and also uh, not not spending enough time glassing when you do find that prime habitat. Uh, That's something that I often see uh, happen. People are driving roads expecting big bucks to just pop out and stand by the side of the road, and and that simply doesn't happen nowadays. Uh, Deer are more spread out because of lack of habitat, and there are a lot of road hunters. And if you uh, want a really big buck, you know, you have to get out and work for it. We have an extended season this year in Oregon, and, and I think there are going to be a lot of big bucks taken because the season is going to run into uh, the, the peak of the rut this year. One other thing that is mentioned in the article is your favorite time to make a spot and stock move on a buck. It's not in the early morning. It's not in the late afternoon or early evening. It's between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m., the hottest part of the day. Why is that? Yep, that's when they're bedding down and that's when they're stationary. If it's hot, they're going to get up and rebed. Sometimes they'll move up higher on the hillside to catch uh, cooling thermals as they're being uplifted. But, you know, in the morning, you're out there looking for deer as they're moving from feeding to bedding areas. And in the evening, you're hunting them as they're moving from bedding to feeding areas. So that's when I spend time glassing, looking for these animals on the move. But if I can find where, where they're bedded down in the middle of the day, then I'm in no hurry. You know, sometimes it might take three or four hours to close in on a shot, but it takes a lot of glassing and, and, you know, knowing the habitat that these deer live in. And that's why, you know, I'm I'm a fan of hunting all day long. I don't go in for lunch. I don't come home to take a nap. It's daylight to dark when I'm after these deer. 
That's Scott Haugen, folks. He's the author of Trophy Black Tales, The Science of the Hunt. You can get a copy at his website, scotthaugen.com. Haugen spelled H-A-U-G-E-N. That's scotthaugen.com. And check out the article by M.D. Johnson, where he gets all this great information from Scott in the current edition of Northwest Sportsman Magazine. Scott, always a pleasure, sir, to have you on America Outdoors Radio. Hey, likewise, my friend, and keep up the great work. This portion of the show is brought to you by our friends at WorkSharp. And if you are hunting this fall, you know the importance of a sharp knife. You're going to need it for gutting that animal, butchering that animal, taking the hide off that animal, and there's a good chance you're going to have to sharpen it more than once while you're doing these things in the field. That's why a pocket knife sharpener or the guided field sharpener from WorkSharp are great items to have with you. Whether you're after deer, elk, pronghorn, or bear... A sharp knife helps you get things done after you drop that animal. Look for WorkSharp products at sporting goods stores, hardware stores, and ranch and home stores near you, or online at WorkSharpTools.com. That's WorkSharpTools.com. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nationwide nonprofit organization dedicated to providing hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under who suffer from life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. These adventures make big differences in the lives of those who participate in them, and in many cases are literally a dream come true that brings hope and therapy to their lives. Find out more, get involved, or donate today at huntofalifetime.org. That's huntofalifetime.org. Huntofalifetime.org. Ready to step up to a quality-built rifle or shotgun that's a true classic? Check out Henry Repeating Arms, American-made. There's over 150 models to choose from in a variety of finishes and calibers for hunters and target shooters. Many of these are lever-action models with a classic look right out of the Old West. Don't be deceived, though. Henry Repeating Arms are modern, rugged, reliable, and have a lifetime guarantee. Find out more and order a free catalog today at HenryUSA.com. That's HenryUSA.com. Immerse yourself in a complete Alaska wilderness experience through Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Up to six of you will spend a week in a beautiful waterfront log home in a secluded cove. Every day is a new adventure. Go on a guided fishing trip or haul in a bounty of shrimp and crab. Visit a Native American village where totem poles are carved. Go on a whale or bear watching trip and return back to your very own place at the end of the day. Find out more about the Alaska wilderness experience at alaskasbestlodge.com. That's alaskasbestlodge.com. Looking to reel in the marketing opportunity of a lifetime? Then set the hook because we've got it right here. America Outdoors Radio has sponsorships available, and we offer an affordable platform to reach thousands of listeners interested in fishing, hunting, and the outdoors. Find out more by contacting host John Cruz through his website at AmericanOutdoorsRadio.com. That's AmericanOutdoorsRadio.com. But hurry, if you wait too long, this big opportunity might just get away. That's AmericanOutdoorsRadio.com. Attention, small business owners. This could be the most important 10-minute call you will ever make. You may be eligible to receive up to $26,000 per employee through the Employee Retention Credit. Call Omega Accounting Solutions to see if your business is eligible to recover payroll tax pay during the pandemic. All it takes is a quick, easy, free 10-minute consultation to determine your qualifications. Call Omega Accounting Solutions at 800-309-ERC. Omega's knowledgeable staff will streamline the process of filing complicated paperwork. 
Omega is the small business champion with teams dedicated to maximizing tax credits. CPAs even turn to Omega for ERC guidance. Take advantage of this exclusive small business tax credit before it's too late. The three-year sunset deadline is setting soon. So find out if you qualify today. Call 800-309-ERC. That's 800-309-ERC. Or visit OmegaTaxCredits.com. Welcome back to America Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. We've got Dan Clayton Luce on the line. He is the Vice President of Communications for Henry Repeating Arms, longtime sponsor of this radio show. And the topic today is getting kids into hunting. Dan, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me as always. So a lot of youth hunts are taking place during the month of September. And, you know, it's a great opportunity to introduce kids to the sport in what I like to call an unpressured setting. It's not like opening day where there's tons of people out there. No, there's a lot of fathers or grandfathers or uncles or aunts or mothers taking their kids out and teaching them how to hunt for the very first time. And I know this is something you've done too. You've been involved with lots of kids and taking them hunting. Let's talk about maybe a few tips that you would recommend when it comes to a kid's first hunt to keep it fun for them. Sure. Well, I think it all starts, most importantly, with firearm safety and starting with the basics of firearm safety i mean pretty much everybody knows before you know universal rules of firearm safety but you know you go beyond that and if you start talking about introducing firearms into a home with children or maybe you're introducing children into a home with firearms whatever it is you know there are different storage guidelines to keep in mind and everything like that so You know, before you even think about getting out into the woods or starting at the range or anything like that, I think it's important to review and practice and and make sure that, you know, they fully understand uh, everything about safety as it relates to firearms. I agree completely. Uh, Safety is rule number one when it comes to firearms handling and especially in the field or on the range. But there's more to a hunt than just the firearm. And that's the whole experience itself. And I'm a big believer in keeping it light and keeping it fun because it's called hunting, not harvesting for a reason. Yeah, exactly. I I think that's crucial to keep in mind. You know, you're not there to bag a world record buck or take down a, a huge turkey or anything like that. It's really just a learning experience from beginning to end. And I think there's so many benefits that can come out of, of hunting with you in terms of getting them outdoors. You know, even going to the store to get their tag is a learning experience and they can maybe learn more about conservation and become more aware of conservation and, and everything like that. So like I said, it, it really is just one giant learning experience where the lessons gained will last them for a lifetime and the memory. You're absolutely right about that as well. Let's talk about the right firearm for that kid, especially if they're a younger child, because a lot of folks, and this happened in my family too, I got a hand-me-down. It was a single-shot 410 shotgun was my first shotgun that was my father's first shotgun. And that's not always the greatest thing to do is give a kid an adult-sized firearm, is it? No, you're right. Starting with the right equipment that fits them well is so important. 
if they are, you know, struggling to hold up this full-sized rifle or struggling to hold up this full-sized shotgun, or maybe they can't get their cheek weld right on the buttstock because it's too long and they're reaching too far, you know, all of those elements that could potentially make it uncomfortable for them, you know, they're just going to be less inclined to go with you next time. If they're like, well, yeah, that's, I, I like going outside, but I didn't like shooting the shotgun because it didn't fit me right. So choosing the right firearm from day one and one that fits them well is so important. At Henry Repeating Arms, we have, I think, close to a dozen, maybe around 10 different youth models, depending on, on what you're looking for, if, if, whether it's hunting or just kind of starting out day one. Uh, we kind of have all of those. I want to talk about that. I think you're right about if it's not a comfortable experience, you're less inclined to do it. And one more thing, folks, make sure you tell that kid that there's going to be a recoil. I still remember the very first time that I shot a shotgun. I was down with my dad at a marsh in southern Oregon, and the hunt was over, and he put a couple cow patties, dried cow patties, up on a barbed wire fence and handed me his 410 shotgun and said, take a shot. So I took a shot, not knowing that there was going to be recoil, and I just physically, out of just pure instinct, threw it to the ground. <laughs> he had this horrified look on his face, and I'm sure he thought, this kid's never going to hunt. But fortunately, yeah, I got I over that. A so, lot of people have stories like that. <laughs> I, I do think a lot of people have stories like that. And I also think that, you know, there are so many organizations out there, all of which we are proud to support. So IHEA, which is International Hunters Education Association, they have hunting education. You shoot and support the Lions. They provide, you know, the right equipment for different clubs and, and organizations around the country. So what I always tell people is teaching them the ropes of getting outdoors and hunting or if they're getting into shooting sports and that sort of thing, it's not something you have to go alone because it is very challenging, but you don't have to go it alone. These, these organizations can kind of take some of that weight off your shoulders, I guess. And yeah, hopefully as those organizations continue to grow and, and we throw our support behind them, less and less stories will be out there. Although, you know, like you, you can look back on it and laugh now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, we've got just about a minute or two here, but I want to run through some of the youth models, firearms you have. And you've got the classic lever action that is, I know, a bestseller for you in the adult model. And you've got the Golden Boys as well. But you've got both of these in a youth model, too, don't you? What's the difference? Yeah, so the biggest difference is kind of weight and look, let's say. So all of our youth models have a 13-inch length of pole is actually only one inch shorter than our full-size models, but that one inch makes a big difference when it's in the length of pole. So the classic lever-action 22 youth, like you said, that's our base lever-action youth model, a little bit lighter than the Golden Boy, which has an octagonal barrel. And then we have the Golden Boy in silver, too, and really the only difference between those two is the color preference. Right. I think for just starting out, you know, first rifle, you're taking them out to the range, or, you know, cow patties on the barbed wire fence, the mini bolt use, which is a, a single shot bolt action that we make with synthetic stock, stainless receiver and barrel, fiber optic sight. That really is built from the ground up to be a good rifle for training and introducing the basics and, you know, lining up the sight picture. It's also got a lot of safety features involved to where, you know, every shot is, is deliberate. It's a, it's 
only a single shop, but there's also you have to load it in, you have to close the bolt, and then there's a, a safety switch and the bolt on the back that you have to pull back before you take a shot. So that's really what I recommend for a day one sort of thing, and then maybe graduate to the lever action. And then beyond that, we have a single shot shotguns and a 410, like your first shotgun. And we have a single shot rifle and 243. So once you have the basics covered, spend some time on the range, you're ready to hit the woods, we have those single shots for fur and feathers, let's say. There you go. If you want to check out these youth model firearms, just go to the Henry Repeating Arms website. You'll find it at henryusa.com. All of the firearms made by Henry Repeating Arms are made right here in America. They're all rugged, reliable, accurate right out of the box, and they're going to be perfect for that kid of yours that you want to introduce to hunting. Dan, thanks so much for sharing this with us today on America Outdoors Radio. Thank you. Before we go today, I want to tell you about some of my favorite YouTube channels for fishing. One of them, you're either going to love them or hate them, Angler. That would be Randy Blockett's Intuitive Angling YouTube channel. Well over 100,000 subscribers now. Randy is an old-school bass tournament angler, lives in Missouri. Table Rock Lake is his home water. And he's got a whole bunch of information he shares with you. He puts out one or two videos a day. It's just great. None of them are more than about 10 minutes long, a lot of them a lot less. And in addition to talking about fishing, he is more than willing to share his opinion on certain subjects, especially forward-facing sonar. Let's just say he's not a big fan. Another channel I really enjoy, that would be Bradley Holman's channel. Now, Bradley Holman is a Bassmaster Elite Series angler. He put on some great videos about how to be a co-angler and you'll also follow him on the tournament trail and it's been a little tough for Bradley this year. He's a great Oklahoma-based angler but he shares the ups and downs of the tournament trail and you can't help but root for him. I'm really rooting for him next year. The final YouTube channel I find myself going to a lot, that would be BassResource.com, especially the videos made by Glenn May. And I really love how he'll take specific techniques and he'll break down exactly how to rig up, what rod, reel, and line to use, and exactly how to fish it. And a lot of times these lessons are punctuated by him actually catching fish during the lesson. Very informative and very useful. Again, BassResource.com. So again, three YouTube channels I find myself watching a lot. That would be Bradley Holman's channel, Randy Blockett's Intuitive Angling, and Glenn May's BassResource.com. Check him out. And on that note, it is time to go. But here's hoping you're blessed in the days ahead and that Hopefully, some time on the water or in the field is coming up soon for you. After all, it is your country and you're outdoors, so get out there and enjoy it.